Um, we're going to be in John chapter 13, verses 21 to 38 today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for gathering us. Lord, and I ask today for peace, peace of heart, peace of mind. Lord, we need your peace today because I sense that there is a weariness. There's a weariness in our hearts that just needs comfort. And God, maybe we're exhausted, just as I'm exhausted right now, just to hang on to life as we know it. God, the unnecessary burdens that we carry, Lord, let us lift them to you so that you can give us endurance, so that you can give us a power that supersedes all of our understanding, so that you can sustain us. God, I ask that in our moments of powerlessness, let our eyes be focused on you. God, let us look upon you because the battle of our lives is not in our hands, but it's already in yours. Victory has been won. And God, we need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened so that we can stand firm on your salvation. Lord, I ask that you be with us as we follow you because we know that you love us from here to the ends of eternity. So help us love one another with that same mind and heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 13, 21 to 38. Read it with me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. It's the word of the Lord. So last week, I asked and I challenged all of us and this question. Would you be willing to follow Jesus, to be cleansed by him, to obey him, and to serve him, to serve like him? This week, I want to follow up that challenge to this end. If you were to follow Jesus, are you ready to take the risks of faith necessary 
to allow God's glory to shine through your life? Are you willing to take the necessary risks of faith to allow God's glory to shine through your life? And what that really entails is going beyond our comfort zones to love in a way that glorifies God. I've been praying over us this week, and I've been asking God that we all become ready to take the necessary risks of faith because we've lived in comfort and in safety for way too long, and it's just about time for God's glory to shine in a dark and lonely world through us. That's our big idea today. The big idea today is that the world knows God. The world will know who we follow by how we love one another. You see, the act of faith, that risk in faith is to love one another. That, that's a huge risk. And, and here's why it's a huge risk. Because we already have a hard time loving the people who are flesh and blood that we live with. Have you had days when it's hard to li- love your kids? I know I have. Right? I have, right? I, I mean, that, that's just a nice way to say it, right? Um, but to actually love people who are sitting next to you who work for you, who work with you, who piss you off, to love them, to love the people who are selfish and conceited. That's a risk of faith because you never know what you're going to get, right? You never know what you're going to get in return when you start loving that person. But that's exactly how God will display his glory through us. That's exactly how the world will know who we follow. Because, come on, Let's be real. How many of us actually love this way? Love the way God tells us to love. I mean, you know, even if some of us did raise our hands and say, yeah, I love people that way without any self-interest or with self-confidence. I love people in the way Jesus loves me. We would say we have a very funny way of showing it, wouldn't we? We have a very funny way of showing it, right? Because, you know, come on, let's just be really honest. Because when I start thinking about it, I start thinking about when last month I took my kids and my wife to the lake. We went to the lake. And so, you know, we're playing in the lake and I see these big fish or what I'm told are small fish, but they're bigger than the fish that we have in our aquarium. So they're really big fish, right? They're really big fish. And I'm like, as a good father, I'm like, Kate, come here, come here. I'm going to show you some fish. So she waddles over. She waddles over and she goes, dad, I can't see anything, you know, because she's short and, you know, the water's deep. And so... I lift her up because I'm a loving father, right? That's how I love my daughter. I lift her up. Her little feet are dangling right underneath the surface of the water. And she goes, hey, dad, what do fish eat? And so now I'm thinking because I don't want to be that dad that doesn't know, right? I want to be the dad that she can rely on. So I'm just like, honey, fish eat fish food. (laughs) Right? That's brilliant. And so then she goes, dad, what's fish food? Right? And I'm just like, oh, wait, hold on. I know this. I know this. I read it somewhere once. And I can't think of anything. So I'm like, that, that thing that's floating right there, that's fish food, right? And, you know, it's like a little piece of seaweed or algae or whatever that's growing on the lake, right? And I was like, yeah, that thing that looks like a leg and feet and toes, right? That's fish food. And then I start singing, right? Fishy, fishy, fishy. I got a delicious piece of Kate here. Little, little toes. Kate wants to see you, but come and eat her feet. Because that's how I love my daughter. I want her to experience wildlife, right? That, 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 that's great, right? And so now she's freaking out. She's like, Mom, Mom, get me out of here. Dad's trying to kill me, right? But that's the way we love, isn't it? That's the way we show our love. And that's me to family, 
right? That's me to my flesh and blood. That's me to my daughter. What about you? How do you show your love? How do you show your love, right? And I'm going to tell you what, the consequences of not loving others with a God-centered love, it, 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 what's going to happen is that culture will swallow us alive. It will consume every good thing within us until we're set dry, until we're broken, until we're lonely, because our way of life, the way culture tells us to live, is more ideologically aligned with postmodernistic democratic capitalism than with the gospel of Jesus. Uh, let, let me rephrase that. The pot calling the kettle black is laughable, or so our life becomes when we proclaim Christian faith without reflecting the love of Jesus. Right? So it's critical. It's crucial that we show the world who we follow by our God-centered love. So I want to spend the rest of our time today doing three things. First, I'm going to show you how loving in a self-interested way, because there is a way to love in a self-interested way, is actually satanic. Then I'm going to show and prove to you why you can't love from self-confidence. It just doesn't work. And then third, I'm going to demonstrate and illustrate what it actually looks like to love in a God-centered way. So we're going to go back to the text. We're going to look at the subplot for Judas Iscariot because what we're going to see here is that the self-interested follow Satan. Verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. This is John writing in the third person, by the way. This is John describing himself as the one whom Jesus loved. If you want to feel confident, if you want an ego boost, start describing yourself in the third person as the disciple that Jesus loved. You will have an ego boost. I guarantee it. It's going to make you feel so much better right? Um, so John starts describing himself this way, right? And so he says, so that disciple, leaning back to Jesus, asks him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. No one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Jesus had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. I, I, I love that last detail. It was night. Have we realized that really nothing ever good happens in our lives under the cover of night? Have any of you found that to be true? Nothing ever good happens under the cover of night. And so, you know, John is poking fun at himself and the disciples, right? And the reason he was poking fun at him and the other disciples was because why in the world would Jesus tell Judas, go do something when nothing is open and no one is out? Because who's out at nighttime? Nobody. There are no stores open where you can buy stuff for the feast. There are no people out to give to because they're all sleeping, and so when we start wondering and thinking about why it says it like this, you know, you, you got to start asking yourself, has God ever spoken to me and we've totally missed it? And the answer most likely is yes, we've missed it entirely because we just missed the hints that God is giving us. 
We're so inobservant that we don't even recognize God speaking to us. And John says, this happened to us. This happened to the disciples. Jesus is saying, it was the middle of night. He was talking about, hey, someone is going to betray me. Why else would Jesus say to Judas, go do it quickly? Here's a shameless plug, right? If you want to learn to be more attentive to God speaking to you, right, and implement some spiritual disciplines to help you hear better, join a huddle. Do it after the service, right? You can do it at the Connect Desk because there's so much good works within you that are waiting to be unleashed when you can really adhere and hear the voice of God in your life. Now, back, back to Judas, right? John tells us at this point, no one knew who was going to betray Jesus. And, and I, I want to make an argument here that, that's going to go on a limb because we paint Judas out to be such a villain, such a bad person. But at this point, we don't, I don't even think that Judas even knew he was going to betray Jesus. And the reason I make that argument is because in verse 22, John says, all the disciples looked at each other wondering who Jesus was talking about. And so when they were looking around, they were just as dumbfounded. Judas was dumbfounded. He didn't have this look of knowing because John would have said so. He would have called it out, right? But in that moment, Judas was still wrestling. Judas was still wrestling with temptation and sin, whether to betray his Savior or not. And so he was wrestling with the idea of, hey, you know, I can make another buck here. It'll make me feel nice. He is a businessman. And so I, I want to say in all of us, we're, we're a lot like Judas that way. We're opportunistic. We're opportunistic. We flirt and wrestle with temptations, and we actually succumb to sin because the opportunity that it presents, it feels so good. Tell me that's not the reason you sin. Or tell me that it is. Temptation is just too great, and the reward, no matter how temporary, makes you feel so good. That's why we sin. Surely I'm not the only one that feels that way. Surely it's not just true for your pastor, right? But maybe we haven't betrayed our Savior like Judas does, but you know what? When we're at the table of God, enjoying the presence of God, we're wrestling, aren't we? We're wrestling with temptation. We're wrestling with sin. We'll be seeing what he's done, right? We're seeing what he's done and all the glory and honor to the son. And we're thinking, oh, that boss of mine just screwed me over this week. How am I going to get him back? Is that just me? Uh, am I the only diabolical person, right? I mean, you know, maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's what he's done. How am I going to ignore that text message that he sent me because I don't want to answer it because I hate him now. I'm not talking to him. Right? Like, come on, right? Like, we, we put people on the outside on purpose, right? And so, you know what? People would not sin if it didn't feel good, right? And, and there's nothing more self-interested than intentionally, intentionally sinning. Nothing more self-interested than that. Uh, and the very definition of being self-interested is being motivated, motivated by your own personal interest or advantage, especially without regard to others, so Jesus, Judas betrays Jesus because what he gains makes him feel so good. And he flirts with that throughout dinner, right? And so, you know, when you start looking and thinking about Judas, you start thinking, well, why was Judas even friends with Jesus in the first place? Why was Judas even a disciple, right? I mean, when you think about it, it's because being a disciple of Jesus benefits him. And yes, Jesus was homeless and his 12 disciples left their day jobs to you know, follow him. So I don't know how much money was in that money bag, but Judas benefited regardless. 
In John chapter 12, you know, Judas gets mad at Mary for anointing the feet of Jesus because that money, that money that could have been sold with that ointment, it could have fed the hungry, the poor. But Judas was mad because he used to help himself to that money bag. And so, you know, on the night before Jesus' crucifixion, there was just this one last opportunity to make some money, right? And that's what we see here. And so when everyone, all the disciples were confused and wondering, well, who's going to betray him? Judas was probably thinking, wait, if I don't get to this first, some other guy is going to get to this. Some other guy is going to make some money, and I'm going to miss out. And so when Jesus tells Judas, hey, go do it quickly, that actually signaled to Judas, I better take advantage of this opportunity. After all, my friend is giving it to me. I mean, have you ever thought about it that way? We think about sin or temptation that way, that God just left it out there to make us feel good. So we're going to take it. We're going to take it. But this is exactly what Satan wants us to do. This is what it looks like to follow the world. This is what it looks like to, to be self-interested, to be satanic, to say, hey, I'm going to gain something. And Judas definitely gained something from this, didn't he? He definitely gained something from this. And so um, we have the tendency then to love with a self-interest too, don't we? we? We put conditions on our love, right? As long as we don't get hurt, We'll love that person. As long as they behave a certain way, as long as they listen to you, I've told Kate that. I'll love you as long as, I li- as, long as you listen to me, right? And, and I can keep going. And, and I'm sure if I keep going, you'll probably say, oh, yes, there are conditions on my love because there's a limit to my love because at a certain point when I start giving my love, I don't benefit anymore. And, and so... You know, perhaps the the same reasons that Judas had for betraying Jesus in his self-interest convince us not to serve, not to love someone who's undeserving of our love, not to make a commitment to continue to take and take and take in every relationship that you're in as long as it continues to give you a benefit or an advantage. But maybe our self-interest doesn't look like that. It looks like apathy. We're not actively following Satan. We're not actively sinning and, you know, betraying people. But we're just passively indifferent to the point of tolerance. We're tolerating them. So we love them by not getting involved with their lives. We love them by doing nothing and saying, it's none of my business. He or she will live his or own, her own life, and we're just going to avoid the subject altogether. After all, that person's not infringing on my rights. It's not messing the way I live. It's not messing up my comforts. But God is not glorified in the world with that type of love. Satan is. Here's the second thing. The self-confident follows the flesh. We're going to skip some verses. We're going to go to verse 36 first. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Do you love how confident Peter is? I love how confident Peter is, right? That is a great attitude. That's the type of friend you want. That's the type of love you want from a friend. 
from a lover, from someone, right? And so, you know, this type of love, it actually foreshadows the type of death that Peter is going to experience later on in life where he's also crucified as he follows Jesus, proclaiming the gospel. But you know what? This confidence that Peter has, all of us, when we started to first believe that Jesus Christ was our Savior, we probably had that same confidence. We trusted in the plan of God, and so we loved God for that, and we showed everybody and told everybody of what God can do, and we were confident. And then after a while, after living faith for a while, we've gained some accolades, right? We, we, have, we have a reputation to maintain. We have things that can't come up to the surface. And so our confidence in God becomes replaced with self-confidence. Confidence that for some reason, it, it was your doing that got you this far. And so you love based on the way you're feeling that day, that moment, about your identity of yourself. And so a love that's self-confident is limited to your areas of confidence. And I've seen all of us, I've seen myself, we are very limited in areas of confidence. And so the people that we have love for because of our limited confidence is going to be limiting. I want to show you how this story ends for Peter. Go to John 18. I'm going to pick it up in verse 8. Let me, let me tell you what's going on here. Um, Judas, in his self-interest, he brings the soldiers and officers from the chief priests to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is praying to arrest them, right? And so in verse 8, Jesus answers, I told you that I am he, the soldiers are asking. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so I love this type of love that Peter has. He loved Jesus so much, he drew a sword for Jesus. He was going to do whatever it took to keep Jesus from being arrested. After all, Peter chose correctly. This was the Messiah that was going to change the world. But then in verse 11, Jesus says to Peter, did you forget the plan? Did you forget the plan that I had just talked to you about, that I told you over dinner, that I've been spending these last chapters telling you? The entire three years, I told you this was the plan. And Peter, Peter is now like, whoa, whoa. And his self-confidence starts to wane. And in fact, what we realize as followers of Jesus is that the longer we follow Jesus, the less confidence we actually have in ourselves because we know we've done less and less of what we think that we've accomplished. And so when we look at the Bible and we look at the heroes of faith, they're only heroes of faith because they realize that they lack the confidence and the skills and the abilities to do what God has done through them. And they have to place their faith in Jesus, to place their faith in God because it was God who did, right? And so now... When Jesus' plan didn't fit with Peter's understanding, Peter's confidence started to wane. So that's the truth about life, right? There are more days that we're going to feel like the plan of God doesn't work for us. And our confidence as a result, the way we love people as a result, is going to reflect that lack of confidence. But that cannot be the way we love people because that's the way of the flesh. You see, love fueled by self-confidence withers away. John 18, 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. 
Now the servants and the officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. So out of love for Jesus, Peter followed him from the garden to the high priest's home. That's love. But he never went inside with Jesus. In fact, a servant girl, right? John writes, it was a girl, not, not an adult, not a regular servant, but a girl that confronts Peter. And Peter, all of a sudden, doesn't have the confidence to be like, yeah, I love that guy. He's my boy. Verse 25, now Peter was standing and warming himself. This is inside the high priest's home. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden? Peter again denied it. And at once the rooster crowed. You see, if we love others because we're confident with who you are, then you're only going to have the bandwidth to love others who are like you. Because we are most confident when we're, people, when we're with people we're most comfortable with. Right? And for some of us, that doesn't even include our siblings. It doesn't include our parents. And it definitely doesn't include our in-laws. Right? <laughs> I mean, when we are less comfortable, we are less confident. So we love less. That's not a God-centered love. Right? God put certain people in your life who don't make you feel comfortable or confident. There's no going around that. And so, you know what? You have a choice. You can love them from a distance like Peter did in the inner courtyard of a house, but never showing up for that person while that person is being ripped to shreds. Or you can have the same zeal that Peter had at first, loving Jesus because Jesus called him. Here's number three. God-centered love follows Jesus. Let's go to verse 31 in Matthew 13 again, or John, John 13, sorry. When he had gone out, this is Judas, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself in himself and glorify him at once. So in the Bible, when we read the Bible, the glory of God as it's manifested physically in this world is called Shekinah glory. And that, that just means that the physical manifestation of God's glory in this world, that's what it means, Shekinah glory. And in Exodus 13, we first encounter God's Shekinah glory or the physical manifestation of his glory in our lives, in the world, right? And it comes in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the Bible says that neither, neither the pillar of clouds or the fi pillar of fire left the vanguard of God's people until they reached the promised land, Right? I want to tell you, folks, Jesus Christ is the glory of God physically manifested here. It's a powerful cosmic crash that impacts every created thing in our world so that all who witness him would repent and believe. That's the type of glory that God wants to show us. He wants to show it to us as we love one another. Isn't that what we want in our lives? Isn't that what God deserves? to be glorified in a way, to always be present in our lives. You see, God was about to glorify Jesus, and he was about to get glorified through Jesus' death. It was out of love that Jesus would die for us on a cross. Jesus met us where we were, worthless, unlovable, sinful, and he took on our sins with his perfection. 
The act of dying for people who were your enemies that did not deserve it, that was the ultimate sign of God's centered love. God so loved the world, he sent his only son for this fact, for this reason, so that we could be brought before God in righteousness. That's a risk of faith. That's a risk that God took. So in Jesus' death, Jesus glorified God. And now God was about to bring glory to Jesus when he resurrected Jesus Christ and placed everything underneath his feet. That's the glory of God in our lives. So when Jesus calls us to be his disciple, to follow him, we follow the manifestation of God's Shekinah glory. And we're promised, we're promised the helper, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to fill us with God's presence so that we can bring glory to God through love, through our love for one another. That's the life that we need to live. To allow Jesus Christ to be Lord of our life because he was willing to love us where we were at so that we can be brought before God. Verse 33. Little children, yet a little while while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If Jesus is Lord of your life, I want to ask, have you risked your faith by loving someone this past week? Are you ready to love someone by taking a risk to bring them before God, to meet them where they are? And that that can take shape in a lot of ways, whether it's loving your kids publicly, right, praying over them. Maybe it's sharing your faith and loving them that way or, or serving someone who's undeserving of your service. Or maybe loving someone by advocating for them. Let me even lower the bar a little bit. Have you tried and thought about loving somebody just by doing the right thing, even if it costs you something? Maybe you pray for somebody just a little more than you pray for yourself. I want to encourage you, stop withholding your love towards others by calling it a private, personal faith. Faith isn't personal. It's communal. It's public. Love is the visible manifestation of our faith. That's what Jesus is teaching us. God can't be glorified if you're holding him in secret. Jesus' love for us was not private. His death was public and raw. His resurrection was also very public and real. It was witnessed and testified by those who saw it, who felt his resurrected body. This is why Jesus commands us, love one another just as I have loved you. That's how the world will know that we are his followers. That's how you're going to witness the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. You love us with intentionality. It's because you loved us that we received the opportunity to taste your glory through your son. I pray that as we live in this world, journeying on a path home towards the kingdom in heaven that you've promised us, as heirs, that you would continue to be a presence before us. God, we want you to be the focal point of our lives. We want you to be glorified in us and through us and all around us, not for our sake, but so that the world will know who you are and what you do and why you do it. Because you are God. You are the Alpha and Omega, and you have written everything beforehand, and you will surely finish it. 
Lord, we believe it, Father, that your spirit, as it fills us and guides us, that we'll be convicted of things and see things that we never thought or imagined possible. Help us love the people that you put around us with the same love that you have, that same love that you had on that cross. Let us love. Let us love with that heart, mind, and soul. We pray these things in your son's holy name.